welcome back to our weird history episode where we seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. Before we get into our topic, don't forget to leave us a rate and review wherever you can. That's how people find us. It also tells us how you feel about the podcast. We like to know. We want to hear your opinions, your ideas, your thoughts, all of that. You can also reach out to us at historyexplainsall at gmail.com or via our social medias, History Explains It All underscore podcast at face, on Facebook and Instagram, where we also do our lovely Today in History and Archaeology in the News. That's upcoming. Stay tuned for those. So what's, uh, what's this week's episode, Melissa? What would you like to know? Well, yeah, because <laughs> I never know what we're talking about. So, I mean, I can't do anything if you don't tell me what it is (laughs) i can sit here and just look at you with confusion on my face going i don't know what she's truly trying to get at what are you trying to say human (laughs) i am a robot (laughs) you ready to get into it oh don't never i don't again i duh So today's episode, we are, hmm, how do I want to put this one? Skating back into history. Mm. Yeah, I know that's not going to make sense. Sort of. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So much like some of the other weird histories, and I'm sure I've said this more than once. I know I've said this more than once. It started off me researching one thing and led to a whole different other thing and it went you went down the rabbit history you went down the dark history rabbit hole sort of you know it just you went did. completely I out mean, like not expected where i was like oh i'm just gonna learn about this one thing and it went completely elsewhere too it's fantastic of course kind of like last last time um like you know the one we the- recorded technically yesterday uh the testicle thieves yeah <laughs> you think almost all my weird histories tend to go down some sort of rabbit hole and i love it so to start off i'll tell you how this all started and then we'll get into where the rabbit hole goes so originally i started off looking about roller skates everyone's i'm sure had roller skates on roller blades roller skates inlines quads whatever you want to call it and They've been around for quite some time, at least as far as we are aware, right? So we know that during the the 20th century, there are roller rinks, roller discos, roller derbies, which are still a thing. Back in the 50s and whatnot, you'd have waitresses rolling out in blades to deliver your food to your car, right? Kids would go skating around the neighborhoods, out at the parks, at the beaches. There were skate shows. Now we've got skate parks, which technically are more skateboard parks, but still works. And for me, I always thought skates had been invented in like the very late, maybe very early 1900s, late 1800s, definitely Victorian times. And would you agree with that? Oh, no, I don't know. I think you know me well enough to know that the answer is no. What are you talking about? 
Um, yeah, quad skates, the, 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 the square skates, not the inline blades, go back quite farther than that. So let's go back to Europe and the mid to late 1700s. So about 100 years later or earlier. But we're not just going to go back and find the history of skates. We're going to go back in time and visit a man named John Joseph Merlin. And if that last name is anything to live up to, he lives up to it. And I mean Merlin, Merlin as a magician. Merlin? Like Merlin the magician. Merlin Merlin by King Arthur's side. Merlin Merlin. Arthurian Merlin? Yeah. Like Morgana Le Fay Merlin. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Say what? Sort of. You could okay. certainly say this guy was a magician for sure. Start getting more specific here, lady. <laughs> well, let's start off to where he was born. <laughs> and we'll get that specific. So John Joseph Merlin was born on September 6th of 1735 in Rhee, Belgium, and was the third of six children. His father was a blacksmith, and as a child, John likely would have learned some of this trade growing up because it, he was around it all the time. And this definitely plays a bit of a key play into later on in his life. Now, as a child, though, his family would frequently move around the continent quite a bit. And by the time he was in his late teens, they were then living in Paris. Between the ages of 19 to 25, John studied at the Paris Academy of Science. And it was here that he had a love of math and, well, science, because it's the Academy of Sciences. And he started to do a lot of tinkering and would become one of the most notable inventors of the late Georgian era. And I really mean... Most of the stuff you're going to hear today sounds like it didn't come from that late. You, you, it's like some of the things I'll get into sound like things that were only invented 100 years ago or just over 100 years ago. They don't sound like that they would have been invented that far back. So at the age of 25, he moved to London and then became a technician to the new Spanish ambassador. And just a few years later, he... In 1763, was noted as having worked on a very large organ that was being built for the current Princess of Wales. About three years later, he is now working as a mechanic for an incredibly well-known London jeweler and goldsmith by the name of James Cox. And the two of them would work together as apprentice and master and colleagues to create a variety of different pieces. So where Merlin was the mechanic and Cox was the goldsmith, they would actually together create automatons. Huh. An automaton. Like a robot. No, I get it. Oh, okay. I get it. I just I'm I just wouldn't have thought of that. Oh but it okay. Gets, it gets even better than just a general automatons. So there is, I'm, I'm about to. There's a piece called Cox's Barometric Clock, which, though technically, uh, well, it's sometimes it's referred to as the barometric clock, sometimes it's referred to as the perpetual clock, but it's not really a perpetual clock. But much like, you ever seen? I had one of these growing up. I don't really know how to describe it because I think it's called a Galileo barometric clock and not so much as a Cox barometric clock. 
but it's a very long cylindrical glass tube with liquid in it and different pieces. And based off the barometric pressure, the pieces would move up or down and would tell you the temperature, but not necessarily would tell you the time. But Cox and Merlin created something similar that based off of air pressure would change the clock's mechanics to where it would tell you the time. Yeah, it's really cool actually. And in 1768, together, the two of them create, I'm sorry, the barometric clock was invented in 1768. 1773 saw the invention of the silver swan, which I will absolutely get to in just a little bit. The silver swan is an amazing thing. And I will play you some video before we, we end the chat. I'll have to put it in the chat. You'll have, you so have to look at it. So if that's not already an amazing thing to think about, about Merlin, just a handful of years later in the 1770s, Merlin then became the manager and curator of Cox's Jewelry Museum that was set up in Spring Gardens in London. And between 1772 to 1775, it was not only just a really cool place to go hang out, it was also an incredibly popular place for the very wealthy and very fashionable to go and socialize. So if you were of high society and you, if, if you were somebody within London, this is the place you came to hang out at the jewelry museum. But the jewelry museum also boasted several of the automatons and pieces they worked on together. Now, Cox's museum also earned its place among various literary circles at the same time too, again, because you've got high fashion and high society. Horace Walpole, the author, described their inventions at the museum as scientific toys. Samuel Johnson, dictionary writer, right, wrote that their tinkerings were of great importance. And even author Fanny Bernsey, or sorry, Bernie, in her book, Evelina, has her characters meet within the museum in order to discuss the, quote, significance of such creations. So it was not only fashionable to go hang out there, but it also made its way into literature at the same time. It was that notable. Fancy schwancy. It was very, Merlin, much probably like Merlin before, was also quite fancy schmancy and had a very good life. At least societally wise. I don't know much about his personal life. There wasn't much there. Now, Later in the late 1770s, Merlin also began to experiment with various musical instruments. He'd already been tinkering with them before. Remember, I was talking about working on uh, the, the musical organ for the Princess of Wales. But now he's working on violins, pianofortes, and harpsichords. And we'll get into that as well. And because of his tinkering on musical instruments, he would then later see Johann Christian Bach play one of its instruments in a public concert. Empress Catherine of Russia is even said to have owned one of his combination harpsichord pianofortes, which is actually in a museum. And one of his pianos is even featured in a Gainsborough painting of Johann Christian Fischer. And then Merlin himself, being as sociable and notable as he was, got his own Gainsborough painting in 1781. You know you've made it when you've got a Gainsborough of yourself. You know what? I was literally. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of the show The Librarians. Heard of it. I was watching an episode 
of it and it actually referenced Dorian Gray, his paintings and several other painters, including Gainsborough, I think, if I remember correctly from this episode. And I was like, this, this is reminding me of this episode right now. Oh, there's a whole different thing. Um, there's a whole different topic. It's not even a weird history topic, but it's a whole nother like actual topic we could bring up about Adam Worth and his, who's the person that Professor Moriarty is particularly potentially based off of. The guy has a crazy life. And if you, if you read the books about him, you can see where they got Moriarty from, but he stole the Gainsborough. And if it's, it's no, oh no. But it was very specific Gainsborough too. But uh, that's a whole the, the, the different topic, but that tells you how, what, what Gainsborough's mean in the art world. They're, they're high masterpieces. Now Merlin, again, much like the wizard, was also known to be quite eccentric. And particularly during balls and masquerades that he was attending, often appearing at them and very odd costumes consisting of his own inventions. And I'll get into that too. Now, once, this gives you an idea. It's actually one, a description of one of them. As described in the Morning Post in 1778, quote, Mr. Merlin, the mechanic, to be the most striking character of the 900 people attending a masquerade ball at the Pantheon, Merlin appeared as a gouty gentleman and a chair of his own construction, which, by a transverse direction of two inches, he wheeled about himself with great facility to any part of the room. What does that sound like to you? The chair. I'm sorry, repeat it one more time. He appeared as a gouty gentleman, so legs swollen, like actual gout, mm -hmm. and a chair of his own construction, by which a transverse direction of two winches, he wheeled about himself with great facility to any part of the room. Sounds like a wheelchair. And you'd be correct, but it's more than just a wheelchair. It's a fancy wheelchair? It's a super fancy wheelchair. How fancy are we talking? We'll get into that. I've got a section on just the inventions. So by 1783, Cox, I don't know if he so much came out of like social favor, but Merlin's social climb kept going. And by 1783, instead of being the curator of Cox's Jewelry Museum, Merlin and his inventions were now part of his own museum, which was referred to as the Museum of Musical Instruments and Mechanical Inventions and was located at number two Princess Street, Hanover Square in London. Now, many of the friends he'd made over the years, and of course the high societal friends, joined him at his new museum, which now became the fashionable place to go visit. They often typically refer to it as Merlin's Mechanical Museum. And you could go gather in the afternoon or evening, you'd pay admission to view the exhibits, and for an additional shilling, you could have coffee, tea, and food. Now, here's a really interesting part. One of his visitors, as a schoolboy, came to go visit Merlin's museum. And he himself would go on to be quite an inventor for something that we use every single day. And that little schoolboy was known as Charles Babbage. Do you know who Charles Babbage is? The name doesn't ring a bell, but it could. <laughs> 
So I'll get into that in just a second. I'll, I'll, I won't spoil the surprise just this second. So while Babbage as a schoolboy was at Merlin's museum, Merlin specifically took Babbage up to his personal workshop to show him some of the items that was not yet that were not yet on display. And Babbage later recalls he was so astounded by what he saw, everything continued to stick with him till for the rest of his life. And in fact, in 1834, well after Merlin's death, Babbage was actually able to purchase some of those same items he'd seen in that workshop that day during an auction. Babbage is known for his invention of the earliest known workable computer, which he built via his fascination with Merlin's automatons. Interesting. Right. We have Charles Babbage to thank for computers, but we have Merlin to thank for giving Babbage the inspiration to create the computer. What would become the modern computer? Here I was thinking it was Apple and, and Microsoft. <laughs> I mean, we could technically go far as far back and say the Antikytherian mechanism, but we still don't know specifically if that was really a computer or a computer, just not in the modern sense. That's fair. But we did discuss that on our Ancients Inventions episode. Yep, guess we did. Now, speaking of inventions, would you like to know some of the, a handful of some of Merlin's well-known inventions? Uh, of course. Of course. The first one, it didn't even occur to me that this was even an invention, let alone something created by Merlin. This is something I think you own, but I think it's something a lot of people own and probably use at least a couple times a week when they cook. Merlin is known for inventing, are you ready? The first patented Dutch oven. Really? Really? I was joking around when I asked why it was called the Dutch oven. No, it was called the rotisserie oven, but let me find you some pictures of the patent because it was really kind of cool. All right, now I've got it. Um, so go ahead and pull up the first non-Google link, the, the short first short one that I sent you. The Britishmuseums.org. Yeah, I got it up now. Okay. Yeah, that is the patent for Merlin's rotisserie. Fishing for roasting all kinds of butcher's meat, game poultry. Uh-huh. According to author Helen Clifford, Merlin is created with creating the first at least patented Dutch oven. And, and she, she quote, uh, credits him as saying in 1773, he produced a Dutch oven or machine for roasting meat. Merlin explained that as well as roasting meat and poultry, it could double as an oven for baking puddings and as a plate warmer. Merlin stresses exactly the qualities we would expect to find enumerated today. The oven's saving on fuel, the, its ability to cook in two-thirds the amount of time and its reliability. He also pointed out that its lightness at the time it was made of tin made it ideal for its use in camps and also on board ships. Hmm. And that's the first of, wow, inventions. You ready for number two? Probably not, but let's do it. So this is what 
it's often referred to as the windlass carriage, not windless, but pronounced windless. And he referred to it as his unrivaled mechanical chariot. And this was a more like, um, I mean, it reminds me structurally more like a handsome, but not quite a handsome. And this carriage also, again, this guy was just much like, what's his face? Humphrey Davy was to science. Merlin was to mechanics. <laughs> Let's put it that way. They both had a high energy and a passion and a just eccentric out of the box thinking for what they did. So not only was this just, it wasn't just any carriage that Merlin made. It also carried what would can be called a precursor to the modern odometer. Huh. Uh-huh. And this actually worked being linked to the left wheel of the carriage and quote, by mechanical communication from the left wheel to this dial, which Merlin called Waywise, informed him by the hands and figures how far he had traveled. Yeah, I did not know that. That's pretty cool. And it's actually said that Merlin could often be seen particularly on Saturdays, such as today, I suppose, riding, <laughs> through, <laughs> riding throughout London in his specialized carriage. Merlin apparently even went as far as to decorate his carriage painted with various emblematical figures of Merlin, the ancient British magician. <laughs> so not only did probably people call Merlin, John Joseph Merlin, a wizard, he now had a specialized carriage which he outfitted with a precursor to the modern odometer, also decked out with figures of Merlin, the ancient wizard. I'm also going to say, I'm looking at a picture of John Joseph Merlin. Not at all what I was thinking. <laughs> There's a horrible history sketch about him. This is how this all started, of course. I mean, it's maybe a two minute sketch. Of course you did. Of I doubt you, you probably remember, history. but if you remember about the, the, the skit about the Georgian inventor on rollerblades while trying to play the violin, but he crashes and, and gets all cut up. Yeah, that's how this all started. And it turns out he was far more than just the inventor of roller skates. And I'm not even done. Next on our list is that mechanical gouty chair, which he said looks just like a wheelchair, but fancier. Because of course it had to be fancier. It was for rich gouty gentlemen. So go ahead and pull up image number two on the chat, the London historians. Yes, okay, got it. I am looking at the gouty chair. So that was actually a party favorite of Merlin's and would frequently use it going to different masquerades and balls. The cool thing about it is if you look closely enough, you can see it. The chair was not only designed to be a chair with armrests, but could also be easily converted into a sofa that could go out on wheels too. A sofa? If you look at the mechanics of it, it's like a folded futon on wheels. 
Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, not much to say other than why don't we have wheelchairs like that today that, <laughs> right? that make it super duper comfortable? Right? What? Yeah, and yeah, yeah, convertible wheelchairs that you can convert from a sofa to a chair. Now we just have the basic wheelchairs, like non-mechanical ones. This, these are just this. This, I guess, technically, it was a mechanical one. He could, if you look at the side of it, it, technically, it's like a precursor to the wheelchair and the slight precursor to the modern electrical wheelchair. If you look at the armrest, at the very front of the armrest are two hand dials that you would move much like either a gaming joystick or the the the, the controls on a modern electric wheelchair this just being non-electric and i can convert to a sofa pretty cool that's pretty bomb yeah next on our list we're getting into the roller skates so as i mentioned Merlin is known for his invention of the first roller skate. Now, he's not, he didn't have the first patent on roller skates, but he is known for inventing the first roller skate. And we don't know specifically when they were invented, but it is believed to have been around February of 1771. Legend goes, he was actually commissioned by a Mrs. Teresa Cornley's to aid her in setting up for a masquerade she was giving. Mrs. Cornley was apparently a very well-known opera singer at the time and was known for hosting very fashionable gatherings for the high society in Soho. And whether or not this was part of his costume or just a stunt he was planning on showing at the ball, we don't know. But what we do know is at one point in the night, Merlin strapped on his new invention and began skating around the room while trying to play the violin. Now, trying to play the violin while skating, Merlin was actually quite proficient at the violin because he was always tinkering with musical instruments. So he knew how to play it. It's more of, he's trying to roller skate around the room while trying to play the violin. I'm also looking at your Lindsey Sterling t-shirt right now. So try to imagine Lindsey Sterling on rollerblades while trying to play her violin. It sounds like a recipe for disaster, despite how well, but I think Lindsay Sterling could do it. I feel like she could do it. I mean, we saw her in concert. <laughs> I mean, at this at this concert, that's where I got this shirt. <laughs> we saw her at this concert of the shirt I'm wearing, and I feel like she could roller skate and play the violin on that stage and have zero problems. I feel like she could she could do a whole choreography on roller skates while trying to play it as well too. But she, if anyone could probably pull it off, it would be her, given the dance style that she tends to do. But for Merlin, unfortunately, he probably wasn't quite as coordinated as Lindsay Sterling. And uh, unfortunately for Merlin, also, like Henry Ford in his first versions of his car, forgot to add brakes. You, I, I think you can tell where this is going. Crash boom? Crash boom, bam. Oh, oh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. So apparently, according to a report of the masquerade, he was skating about, showing off for, for the guests, and he had the misfortune to skate so violently against a large looking glass as to break it into many pieces. Yes. 
But unfortunately for Merlin and his roller skates, I don't know what happened post that event, but it just hit him hard enough, I guess. And it put him off for working on roller skates for the rest of his life. He never went on to put brakes in them and went to his death, never finishing up his invention. And in fact, it wouldn't be another 60 years before roller skates even attempted a comeback. In 1863, a man named James Leonard Plimpton of New York created his version of the quad skate and actually got the first patent on it. And from then on, because roller skating is a lot of fun, it, for pleasure, was immediately born, rinks opening up quickly throughout both America and England, and became an incredibly favorite pastime for Victorians and everyone since. Because I can't think of anybody who's not tried a quad skate or a rollerblade. I mean, we would have birthday parties at the local rinks. They're fun. You'd play limbo while trying to be play, trying to be on rollerblades. Yeah, it's been a really long time for me. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, definitely a long time. It's been at least fifteen years for me. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe, like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right for me too. I'd say. Now, as I mentioned, Merlin also would frequently work on instruments. And he, that began about 1773, 1774. And one, is most, bleh, one of his most popular was his combination harpsichord pianoforte, because it played as both. And as we know of, one currently survives, and it's in the Deutsche Museum in Munich. And that specific one is believed to have actually been owned by Catherine the Great herself. Catherine the Great of Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any other cats in the crates, do you? No, I just wanted to make sure I didn't lose my mind. I was like, okay. Yeah. Okie doke, then. Yep. I mean, the man was notable enough to have his own Gainsborough. It wouldn't surprise me that if he fashioned some really interesting musical instruments, the royalty would have a piece. But the amazing thing about this harpsichord pianoforte isn't that it was owned by Catherine the Great, or at least one of them. What's amazing about it isn't that it could play as both piano or harpsichord. What's amazing about it is given the time, it had a mechanism that allowed it to transcribe what the musician was playing. So instead of playing some notes, taking a break, writing them down, or adjusting them on your paper as you go, This now had a transcriber attached to it. And it was actually an activation very similar to the punch card method that Babbage would later use in his early computer design. Okie doke there. Yeah. Dang. We getting fancy up in here. Well, the violin's about to get a little, little extra fancy. Oh, excuse me. A little extra fancy. And uh, so, like I said, he also worked on violins and other musical instruments. And at one point, I'm not really sure why, but he created a five-stringed violin. Now, violins usually have four strings. 
why you would add a fifth string, I'm not sure. Because you're cuckoo? It's kind of like adding an extra string to a guitar. I don't know what you're really doing with that. And also, if you think about it, like a 4-4 four, four full-size violin, the neck is what? I don't know. Two inches tops in width? It's not very large. No, violins aren't big at all. No, they're not. I mean, even a full-size violin, the neck is not that large. Not unless we're talking about, like, we're, we're moving on to cellos here. Yeah, okay, yes. But cellos are a little easier to hold because they're directly right in front of you. A violin, much like the viola, has to be played out at an angle. So you need a much smaller neck so your hand can fit around it. Yeah. Right? So you don't want the neck to be super wide. So imagine maybe a two-inch tops. I'm not even two-inch. That's when, like, an inch inch and a quarter inch and three quarters maybe two inches tops but maybe inch and three quarters with violin neck with five strings trying to fit them all in when four strings is just enough room <laughs> at the usual width of a violin neck I, i'm not sure why you would add an extra string it also would make things a bit cramped unless you made the, the, the neck wider so i don't know what he was doing with that but merlin also claimed that he created a violin that also where the pegs never loosened. A very simple contrivance by which the pegs cannot get loose and will help the tuning with a wonderful facility, safety, and accuracy. And if anyone has ever played a stringed instrument, guitar, cello, bass cello, viola, or violin, you know how annoying loose pegs are. I mean, I haven't played that string instrument. Mine was piano. And it just annoyed me when it went out of tune. So. Sure. I, I played, I played, well, I played viola because violin was not available because they ran out of my school. I, everyone had taken the violin before I could play. But violin's always been my favorite instrument outside of drums. So I, I, I played it back in middle or uh, elementary school. So I hate loose pegs. But anyone who's ever played it can imagine just how annoying loose pegs are so supposedly he made that but either it never caught on or he never he only made maybe one version of it i don't know it's it's but as far as we know that's been lost to time but let's get into one of merlin's most complicated inventions his automatons so one of his most famous is the silver swan as i mentioned before and that was created in around 1773, along with his employer, James Cox, the goldsmith and jeweler. Okay. And uh, don't open number three just yet. Oh, okay. Not yet. But the silver swan is a life-size silver swan made of silver. The entire piece is made of silver. But it's not just a mechanical swan. It also doubles as a music box. But life size and when activated the glass rods around it move giving the appearance of moving water and in this quote water are small silver fish that look as if they're swimming and the entire piece is around 32 seconds long and during that entire 32 seconds the rods move the fish swim the swan moves its head preens itself appears to nose the fish before it bends its head forward as if to eat one, then brings its head back to its original position. What? 
Mm-hmm. Give me a second. Give me a second. And according to an account from 1773, the swan, the whole piece, was originally three feet across and 18 feet tall. All made of silver and mechanical. You would be happy to know that this thing still exists. And you can go see it in person. What? Uh, unfortunately, it no longer sits at the 18 feet tall height, revealing that there have also been much more to the display. Originally, it was thought that there may have been a waterfall positioned behind the swan as well, which is actually believed to have been stolen at some point while it was on tour. But you can see it today. There's videos online. And give me a second before you open number three. The swan can be seen at the Bose Museum, Museum, the Bose Museum in County Durham in England. Now open up your video. Well, I will consider it since you made me wait for so long. <laughs> what the heck? What the that heck is the water made out of? Silver rods, glass and silver. Huh. It's all mechanical. And it's over like 250 years old at this point, And it still runs. Yeah. Can I mention it looks a little creepy? Uh, probably a little bit. Uh, there's no probably about it it looks a little creepy i guess that was more of a a based off of opinion yeah it'd be 50 years next year that this uh, 250 years next year this swan was created and still runs to this day and in fact if i understand correctly the bose museum why do you see museum i don't know um they I don't know if it's in the video link I have, but there's another video I can send you later where you can watch the entire pool activation, but it's a giant peg key that they insert into it, wind it up like a music box, and then it plays entirely for the 32 seconds. Oh my God. I'm just looking at these rods going underneath the swan. I know. Are they mesmerizing? What? Dear Lord. Imagine how long that would have taken to create, but no, also thank you. imagine how magical, even in its current state, imagine how magical and wizardy that would have seemed to people in the late Georgian era. And imagine the inspiration a 10-year-old Charles Babbage would have gotten in order to be able to, to take that and create what was the precursor to modern computers. You know, this guy was literally a wizard. I'm just surprised he wasn't burned at the stake. <laughs> he was too popular with the nobility and the rich. That's true. But we're also not quite done with his inventions. Oh, Jesus. Christ. I have a section I called the honorable mentions because there's not a lot of information. Okay. okay. And go. <laughs> <laughs> he also supposedly managed to create a mechanical gambling machine that supposedly when wound up would, I don't know how, because we don't have schematics and there's not one that exists, but supposedly when wound up fully, it would play cards for up to four hours. But in what capacity, I'm not exactly sure. Because you're not playing against a machine like the, like the mechanical Turk, I guess the Turkish, that, that Turkish grandmaster thing that people would play, but there was really a grandmaster chess master inside. 
Okay. That's a, maybe a whole different episode. Um, that one, that was a Napoleon thing. And that was a whole hilarious to me when I found that out because Napoleon got pissed. He lost to a machine. But what's also really interesting is that, and again, there's no schematics that we're aware of and there's nothing that currently survives. But even back all the way, now we know that prosthetics, obviously you and I both know because I believe we mentioned it in the ancient inventions episode, much like the precursor to the modern odometer, the precursor to the modern wheelchair, the precursor to the modern roller skates. Merlin also created a prosthetic device, which is kind of a precursor to modern prosthetic devices because that not were just a prosthetic fitting for those with missing limbs, but also was adjustable enough that allowed them to use utensils while using it, hold horses' reins, and were even able to write. So they weren't stiff-handed. Much like probably some semi-robotic uh, prosthetic devices we have now that are a lot more, but mo the movements are more like an actual hand. Can this guy just stop being a genius, please? <laughs> That's the last bit I have. <laughs> he, too he, much stuff. He lived, he created a whole bunch of really awesome stuff, and then he died. That's, a, that's enough. <laughs> no more. No more. My brain can handle no more. That was the last I have. I have no more. Oh, good. Finally. <laughs> I'm still staring at the mechanical swan. Okay. Isn't it gorgeous. Oh, it's so mesmerizing. It's pretty, but it's also freaking creepy. I would like love neck, to see it in person. Its neck is creeping me out. Yeah, that, that, what, what, uh, yeah, that it's a little not because it's mechanical, it's not natural. Uh, I know. But it's thing is really cool. Oh, it's neat. I'm not going to lie, but its neck is just really creepy. Don't ask me why, but the neck itself is just creeping me out. I hope you share that link with everybody so they can see the creepy neck. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to go in the source notes. Are you kidding me? Of course. I might. No, wait, you can't upload videos to Instagram, technically. I wonder if I can download the GIF and then upload it to Instagram or will it count as a video? I'll have to try it out. But in either way, the link's going to be in the source notes for anyone that wants to check out the Mechanical Swan because it is cool. It's very neat, but it's just freaking creepy. But you can see where I went down a rabbit hole with this because I was like, oh, the roller skates were invented in 1773-ish, 1771 or something. I'll just learn about this one inventor and holy crap, he created a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm sorry. You went down a rabbit hole? I couldn't tell. No, I never do that. Never. No. We never go down rabbit holes. Because, no. you know, in, in a couple of episodes, we're going down my rabbit hole. Is that not the one after this one? No. Oh. We're doing biological warfare. Oh, right. Thank you. Forgot. Couple couple of episodes away, and then 
then we're we're gonna be you, it's gonna be majority me <laughs> yeah she's not gonna show up <laughs> kind of like you don't on some of your topics <laughs> come on come on you didn't stop during pompeii <laughs> pompeii is your subject well rome ancient classical rome is your subject middle east slash egypt is mine point therefore it will be a rabbit hole for me although i think as much as classical greece and rome i think this whole weird history trip is all my thing oh this is totally this is like your extra rabbit hole <laughs> you have like two this is my you eccentric have, rabbit you hole. have your classical archaeology rabbit hole and then you have your just weird random things that i i love weird random eccentric people and things what can i say i don't disagree i just i just this is a rabbit hole like one six feet deep this one's about 20 feet (laughs) (laughs) it's and you're still digging (laughs) so this is gonna be a deep deep rabbit hole Have you, have you found it? Well, yes and no. I was trying to see if I could find out where he was buried because I never found that information. I just found out when he died, which was the 8th of May of 1803. But I, I don't know where he's buried. I was trying to find it. Just in case anyone happens to live nearby and wants to go check it out. Well, in that case, it's time to end the episode. <gasps> Yes, I have laundry that I need to go flip, okay, lady? I'm sorry. No, I just um, came across a really great article. Um, Oh, God. It's the next weird history. Don't tell me. (laughs) It might be, actually. I don't know. I was looking for John Joseph Merlin's burial site, and then there's a place called hauntedpalace.blog and the grave humor of the Georgians. That might have to be in the next one. I don't know. We'll find out. I don't know. Oh my god. Yeah, that might have to be the next one. I'm going to hold that one still. Well, now I know what it's about. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, oh, you just know by the title. I don't I, I, Maybe next weird history. It may not be. I don't know. We'll have to find out. I'm sure it'll come up at some history. Georgian crazy. I'll be like, I knew that one. I knew you talked about that one. Let me put it this way. From the like skimming I quickly did on that one article on that site. If you had fun with Egyptology and the Victorians, you might have quite a lot of fun with the Memento Mori of the late Georgians. I will have so much fun. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. All right, let's let's log out of this one. Well, I think that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. <laughs> And uh, we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Melissa didn't even try. Yeah. Bye. Bye.